Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Friday, September 9th, 2022. It's been 3,116 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 197 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Ukraine has liberated 1,200 square kilometers, an area the size of Los Angeles County, California, in 72 hours, with troops arriving in Kupyansk, Sinkov, and Vesele, cutting off the Russian garrison in Izum. Ukraine is on the brink of the largest military victory in Europe since World War II. Second, Ukraine has seized the battlefield initiative across Ukraine. Third, Ukraine has made additional advances in Kherson, which is taking longer than Kharkiv and Izum not because it was a feint, but due to the terrain, which favors Russian tactics and equipment. Fourth, we assess that the Russian Ministry of Defense is making decisions based on bad or outdated information. The Ministry of Defense reported they are sending reinforcements to Bakhmut to continue attempting to capture the city. Fifth, multiple reports by pro-Russian accounts of imminent reinforcements on the Kharkiv-Izum axes are likely an attempt to keep up the morale of defending Russian troops. There aren't meaningful reserves to tap, and the accounts have claimed for three days that reinforcements are coming. Sixth, we believe that Russian troops will surrender en masse if the total encirclement of Izum is achieved. Seventh, we assess that Ukraine may have a significant logistical challenge with managing hundreds to thousands of prisoners of war within the next seven to ten days. Eighth, our assessment that Russian terror attacks against civilians would increase remains unfortunately accurate, with a hospital destroyed in the Sumy Oblast by a Russian airstrike. And finally, we maintain that the risk of Russian terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure to break morale is exceptionally high and will remain so for the foreseeable future.
Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. The counteroffensive in Kherson continues with widespread artillery fire and fighting across the region. Ukrainian forces are likely in an operational pause to consolidate forces and prepare for their subsequent advances. Positional fighting continued across multiple areas in Kherson. Video showed Ukrainian troops raising their nation's flag in Blachodatyvka, confirming the settlement had been completely liberated. Ukraine controls a front along the Inulets River that is 16 kilometers wide and 11 kilometers deep. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian forces attacked Bezimen and could not push Ukrainian forces out of the settlement. GSAFU reported that Arkhangelsk was shelled by Russian forces, while pro-Russian accounts reported, quote, positional battles, without mentioning geography. In our assessment, Arkhangelsk is under Ukrainian control. Novovoskresensk was shelled by Russian forces, implying that Ukraine continues to push south from Viskopilia. The Russian military is accused of blocking all access to Veliko Oleksandrivka and has rounded up the civilian population to use as human shields. Based on our analysis, this town would be the next one in line to be attacked by Ukrainian forces advancing from Arkhangelsk and Novodimitrivka. We've maintained that Novodimitrivka has been contested since August 29th, and the GSAFU reported the town was shelled by Russian artillery today. The Russian Ministry of Defense claimed that Ukrainian forces in Ukrainka refused orders to fight due to heavy bombardment. We can't confirm the veracity of the report, but sounds like the Ministry of Defense just accidentally revealed that Ukrainian forces have advanced to Ukrainka. We've adjusted the line of conflict and coded the settlement as contested. Pro-Russian accounts reported a breakthrough by Ukrainian forces from Posad Pokrovsk in the direction of Mirn. We have both settlements coded as under Ukrainian control, and the reports left us confused about why Russian sources would label this a breakthrough. The Russian Ministry of Defense also claimed that Ukrainian forces in Zeleny High refused to fight, which confirmed that Zeleny High is under Ukrainian control. We can't confirm if Ukrainian forces refuse to fight in the village, but even so, the report confirms the settlement is under Ukrainian control, or at the very least, contested. Video emerged of Ukrainian forces attacking Russian positions in Ternovipodi. The date of the attack is unknown, but it would be before September 2nd or after September 6th, based on weather conditions. The village was shelled by Russian troops on September 8th and 9th, indicating that the daring attack was successful. West of Kherson, the Russians shelled the settlements of Pravdine and Miroliobivka, indicating that both settlements are contested or liberated by Ukrainian forces. Russian ammunition depots were destroyed in Snikhurivka, two in Berislav, and one in Kohovka. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported that another Russian pontoon bridge was destroyed near Novokokhovka. A video recorded aboard a Russian ferry laden with cargo trucks showed explosions just over the shoreline as troops looked on. We imagine this was not much of a morale boost. The Ukrainian Air Force executed six successful airstrikes on Russian targets, while the Ukrainian Armed Forces supported 265 successful fire missions. Those are artillery, rocket, and missile strikes. 
The number of airstrikes was reduced because of increased activity by the Ukrainian Air Force in Zaporizhia. Insurgents in Novo Oleksivka destroyed a Russian supply train as it arrived at the station. The town is just north of Russian-occupied Crimea and is the first train stop in southern Ukraine. The very same railroad station was the scene of a devastating ammunition accident on August 8th. Based on the partisan attack, we've coded the town as under insurrection. Our assessment of the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 5th. You'll find it on Monday's episode around minute three. Now to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia, where there were no significant developments at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant or in Enerkhodar, and there weren't any reports of shelling or significant attacks on Nikopol or Markhanets. Huh. No kidding. All right, moving on then to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. The GSAFU confirmed that Ukrainian forces are advancing on the tactically important city of Polohi. Russian forces attacked the town of Kostyantinivka and were unsuccessful at pushing the Ukrainian advance back. The advance on Polohi has been moving at a snail's pace since July, with Ukrainian forces inching closer to the supply and transit hub. In support of the advance, the Ukrainian Air Force conducted suppress-and-destroy enemy air defense missions, destroying at least one air defense position. Artillery fire was sporadic, with Russian forces concentrating on Orykhiv and Novoandrivka. In Melitopol, the insurrection against the Russian occupation continued. Yuri Onichuk, the Russian-appointed head of the Vodokanal Water Supply Company, had a bomb explode outside his home a day after his wanted picture was posted across the city. Onichuk was uninjured but reportedly rattled by the assassination attempt. West of Donetsk, elements of the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, made two attempts to advance on Kamyanka and were repelled. Russian sources reported that the west end of the destroyed Donetsk International Airport in Vesele was captured near the outskirts of Optin. The DNR continued its attempts to advance on Nerilske and Pervomaiske, but found that Ukrainian forces had built another set of stout defenses and the DNR could not advance. Positional fighting continued in Marenka, and the situation did not change due to a lack of light infantry in the DNR. Artillery fire was only sporadic outside of the Avdivka area. The shelling of Remivka on September 8th indicates that the DNR militia report that the settlement was captured was false. The situation around Bakhmut is unchanged. Russian forces fought only positional battles on the outskirts of Soledar and Bakhmut. Kadyrovites with the 141st Akhmat tried and failed to advance on Mayorsk. Serhii Haidai, exiled Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that Russian forces are rotating to take over the attacks on Bakhmut and Solidar, which may explain the reduced amount of fighting today. Some quick assessment, though. Guys, the Izum axis has completely collapsed. We don't understand why Russia is moving reinforcements to take Bakhmut, because the attack really truly won't matter if the Izum axis is encircled. Overall, our assessment in Bakhmut is unchanged from August 25th, which we recapped on yesterday's episode around minutes 16 or 17. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, 
Russian forces attempted to advance on Ryorivka again and were unsuccessful again. Russian troops fired artillery on Siversk and the surrounding towns. We expanded the area of contested control to the edges of Lehman and around Dibrova, with Russian reports that Ukrainian forces can move freely in the woods north of the Siversky Donets River. The Russian Ministry of Defense likely withdrew its forces from Lehman on September 7th and moved them to the Izum Axis. Some assessment? We believe that as soon as Ukraine has two spare divisions, they will move to liberate Lehman. The only thing preventing a liberation attempt at this time is the ongoing success in Izum and Kharkiv. Our assessment in northeast Donetsk and Luhansk remains unchanged from August 18th, which we recapped on yesterday's episode around minute 22. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, starting, of course, with the Izum axis. But first, a quick editor's note. As we were finishing editing today's report, a photo was shared by Russian and Ukrainian sources showing Ukrainian troops at the gateway of Kupyansk. The situation continues to change, with Ukraine launching a historic counteroffensive that military planners will study for years to come. Russia is on the brink of the worst military defeat in Europe since World War II. The counteroffensive on the Izum axis continues at lightning speed, with Ukraine liberating 1,200 square kilometers in 72 hours, in Kharkiv alone. We had assessed that private military company or PMC Wagner Group's bold declaration on Telegram was just bluster, and that was accurate. Ukrainian forces liberated Balaklia, following Sun Tzu's rules of leaving a golden bridge for your enemy to use in retreat. Russian forces headed east to Savinsi, where heavy fighting on the city's western side continues as of this recording. Russian forces defending Savinsi are in a technical encirclement and likely can only retreat south to Izum and wait to be attacked. In Balaklia, Ukrainian forces raised the flag over the city and successfully secured the arsenal with all its munitions, weapons, and equipment. They were met by jubilant and sobbing residents who hugged and kissed them and offered them food and gifts. Soldiers tore down Russian billboards and propaganda that was spread across the city. Ukrainian forces liberated Brihadarivka, ambushing and destroying a retreating Russian convoy. The troops continued southeast and advanced all the way to the critical highway junction of Vesele and Kunyi. In our assessment, setting conditions to liberate Izum started in Kunyi on May 3rd. A drone-directed artillery strike was likely the first use of NATO-provided M777 artillery, destroying a Russian convoy of 34 vehicles with pinpoint precision. There are unconfirmed reports of intense fighting at Vesele and Kunyi, with pro-Russian sources calling it the battle for the, quote, highway of life. Ukrainian forces rushed to the north was successful, liberating Shevchenkov and all the towns along the T-2210 highway. Videos showed clapping and cheering residents in Yakovenkov as a Ukrainian mechanized infantry column passed through, and the Ukrainian flag was raised in Volokhiv Yar. 
Russian forces abandoned their positions in Kharkov, with Ukrainian forces tearing down the Soviet battle flag over the town. Proving Ukrainian forces are advancing east, a video showed another mechanized infantry unit passing through the edge of Borivske on the P-7 highway, also greeted by cheering and clapping residents. In Yazinovata, insurgents climbed a communications tower and tore down the Russian flag. They filmed the act and the raising of the Ukrainian flag with a drone. Pro-Russian accounts claim that Ukrainian forces advanced through the edge of Husarivka, where fighting continues, and another column of mechanized infantry surged south along the banks of the Oskil Reservoir on the P-79 highway to Senkov. Ukrainian forces have taken control of the low-water crossing over the Oskil. They may be planning to advance over the river, cutting off all possible retreat routes for Russian forces that are on the brink of encirclement in Izum. The Russian response to the counteroffensive is in chaos, with commanders likely working off information 8 to 24 hours old to drive their decisions. The Russian Ministry of Defense claims they are rushing reinforcements to Kupyansk, which is already under constant artillery and rocket attacks by Ukrainian troops. There are reports that some Russian soldiers are taking off their uniforms and retreating, but we can't confirm the veracity of those reports. Ukrainian forces have entered the outskirts of the critical transit hub and are fighting for control of the city. Its capture would be a crushing blow and would end Russia's ability to control any part of Kharkiv and make the capture of the Donbass impossible. Advancing mechanized infantry units are being followed by heavy armor to reinforce the captured settlements and ground lines of communication, supported by the Ukrainian Air Force and stout air defenses. Ukrainian forces overran Russian positions so fast that the Russian Air Force reportedly attacked multiple Russian troop convoys in a series of friendly fire incidents. They mistook the retreating Russian columns for Ukrainian advances. Ukraine has reportedly captured, quote, hundreds of pieces of equipment in the counteroffensive already. These are losses that the Russian military can't afford and can't replace. Because the Ukrainian military was initially trained on Soviet and Russian Federation equipment, captured equipment can be pressed into almost immediate service. Multiple videos have shown dead Russian soldiers, destroyed and captured equipment, and massive caches of ammunition secured, which can be put to immediate use by Ukrainian forces. On Russian Telegram and among mill bloggers, denial and disbelief have turned to anger directed at Russian military leaders the Russian people, and the Kremlin, as the gravity of the situation is sinking in. In Izum, a commander made an impassioned plea on Telegram for reinforcements, claiming that without help, there will be a repeat of the 1941 Battle of the Brest Fortress. A brief sidebar for those of us who aren't military historians, the Battle of the Brest Fortress was a surprise attack by German forces on Brest Fortress in then-Soviet Belarus. It was an epic siege, and Soviet forces ultimately relied on weapons and ammunition scavenged by civilians to maintain their defense as long as they did. German forces ultimately took the fortress, and the battle resulted in thousands of casualties. Now infamous Soviet graffiti inside the fortress read, quote, I'm dying, but I won't surrender. Farewell, motherland. End quote. Incredibly, and defying all logic, Russian forces continued piecemeal attacks south of Izum. 
Russian forces captured the village of Sulichivka and the forests to the south while losing control of Dovenki. From Sulichivka, Russian forces attempted to advance on Dibrovne but were unsuccessful. Russian forces then launched an attack on Vinopilia but could not move the line of conflict southwest. Assessment here. The only logical answer we can find for these attacks is a complete breakdown in communication. None of these advances will change the outcome of the looming battle for the control of Izum. It may be possible that Russian military leaders believe Ukraine will advance up the T-2122 highway toward Izum instead of the M-3, which drove the reasoning to attack in this area. In our assessment, the claims by the Russian Ministry of Defense of effective reinforcements arriving are only an attempt to hold up the morale of Russian troops. There is no evidence that Russian forces have rested, fully staffed, and properly trained reinforcements at their disposal to counter the NATO-style combined arms advance the Ukrainians are executing to near perfection. We believe Ukraine will successfully take control of Kupyansk within the next 48 hours and Izum within the next five days. We also believe it is highly likely that Russian troops will surrender en masse due to poor leadership and a dependency on DNR and Luhansk People's Republic conscripts. Speaking of, Ukrainian forces captured a group of LNR militia sent to the front as if it were the 1942 Soviet Union. They claim they were issued no weapons or body armor and given Soviet-era SSH-68 helmets. When asked by Ukrainian soldiers, quote, how were you going to fight against us? They responded, quote, We didn't intend to. The men in the video resemble the German Volkstrom of 1945. North of Kharkiv, Russian defensive lines are also starting to crumble. Ukrainian forces retook Yudi, with Russian forces attempting to advance back into the village that sits on the Russian border. Ukrainian forces also liberated Dementyevka after weeks of back-and-forth fighting. Further east, Ukrainian forces liberated Malavesele, inching closer to the Russian stronghold of Vesele. There were Russian missile and rocket strikes in Kharkiv, but no casualties were reported. Homes in the Kiev district were destroyed, and a missile hit one building of a college campus in the Saltivsky district. Russian missiles launched from Bilgorod on Kharkiv have an increasing number of failures at launch. Of six missiles fired last night, one exploded shortly after launch. The day before, two of five missiles failed shortly after being fired. Our assessment in Kharkiv is the same as it was on August 12th, which we recapped on yesterday's episode around minute 33. To the north in the Cherniev and Sumy region, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Russian Air Force fired on the hospital in Velika Pisarivka. The attack was launched from Russian airspace, and there were casualties. At the time of recording, there weren't details on the number of dead and wounded or the condition of the hospital. The hospital is not close to the ongoing fighting in Kharkiv and on the Izum axis. Of course, we have some late-breaking news. Remember how we just said that Ukrainian forces would take Kupyansk in the next 48 hours? Well, around 5 a.m. Seattle time this morning, the Kyiv Independent reported that Kupyansk has been liberated and is under Ukrainian control. 
If Ukraine can hold control of the critical city, Russian supply lines will be severed in three directions, and there will be no way to bring reinforcements into Izum or points south. The Russian Ministry of Defense pulled most of its forces from Lehman, which now exposes the entire occupied region of Kharkiv and almost all of Russia's territorial gains in northern Donetsk from April to June at extreme risk of being liberated. Ukraine moved an entire battalion across the Inulets River and has broken through Russian defenses. Bruskinsky and Chakolov are under Ukrainian control, as well as the T-2207 highway. This means the ground line of communication between Bereslav and Davribrid has been severed. Also late-breaking, Ihor Terechov, the mayor of Kharkiv, reported on Telegram that there is a, quote, severe attack on Kharkiv from multiple launch rocket systems, end quote. There were confirmed strikes in the Shevchenkivsky district, damaging multiple buildings, including a school, a kindergarten, and a gas station. At least 10 people are reported wounded. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.